afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 21st of April in the year of our Lord, 2021. And it's just gone quarter five in the evening here in the UK. Had a few days off. We're back. Last week on the Good Life Health Show, Clive DeCarl and I were talking about children's health, predominantly more with regards to babies. This show, we're going to go a bit further in and we're going to talk about kids coming up to school, adolescence age, pre-teens. Clive DeCarl, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm very well. Thank you very much, Lou. Thank you. So, what we've got, what we've got today? Well, I thought that, uh, as we were speaking about babies last week, and we're going to speak about children this week, that maybe we should go back one step and figure out why people choose the wrong partners in the first place, because that happens a lot. And there are two <laughs> reasons that people may not be aware of. Uh, one of them is that women on birth control pills are unable to uh, properly pick up and interpret the pheromones uh, coming off a man. And in a similar way, if a man has been circumcised, the pheromones that a woman would pick up on to figure out if they're the right man or not are not present because the glands have been cut off with circumcision. So we've got two things against a good partnership. You know, um, women who come off birth control pills and then smell the, the sweat on their partner's clothing um, often find they don't like it, whereas previously they didn't mind it. And I think it's generally true that uh, we work very much on a sense of smell and some people smell good to us and some people don't. And these two factors mean that people are making a lot of mistakes because they can't smell the right partner. Wow. I, 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 that's, this, is, this is a whole new avenue for me to go down, Rick. I, I didn't think so. It's a bit like animals. They go and they'll sniff them. They'll sniff around to see if they like them. Never imagined that it would be the same for us. Yeah, well, we're animals. So, uh, you know, the thing is that um, I see so, well, a story I hear a lot, maybe you hear a lot, is where well, it turned out the man or the woman was a psychopath. Uh, or a yeah. psychopath. I've or, heard it a few, I certainly have heard that a few times. And I know uh, lots of people who've gone out with them in a serial manner. When you say a serial manner, what do you mean? Well, they don't learn from their first mistake. I mean, oh, no, you know, no. You know, what the psychopath will do, be it a man or a woman, or, or the sociopath, or uh, the you know, whatever you want, whatever you want to call them. I think it's all levels of the same thing. I mean, everybody's psychopathic. Try taking a, uh, an ice cream away from a three-year-old. You know, you'll see what's psychopathic. <laughs> but um, so, uh, what do psychopaths do? Well, they love bomb you. What psychopaths do is they target you. They know exactly what they're doing and they have an end game in mind. So how it starts is they tell you that you're the most wonderful person on the planet and your jokes are hilarious and you're more beautiful or whatever it is than anybody else they've ever met. That's the sort of love bombing aspect. And then uh, they do everything to please you. And then, then once they've got you, then it changes and they start gaslighting you, which is telling uh, telling you that you have forgotten what you think happened and that you're wrong and they're right and they start uh, destroying the person so that they lose all their self-esteem and their joy, basically. 
but it, it appears almost like an addiction. People become addicted to the psychopathic behavior that some people put out. And uh, I made a, a video some years ago about how to spot a psychopath because once you see the pattern, then, then it's reasonably easy to spot. But most people don't know what they're looking for. Okay, so hang on. Let's uh, let's. Children health is very important, but I think we just need to go a little bit further into this, Clive, if you don't mind to begin with. Let, you know, let's let's talk about what how to stop to spot a psychopath. We'll go back to the children. I want to get to there, okay. but this is all this is all so very relevant. It, it all ties in. So everything you say, I completely understand what you're saying. I completely, it makes complete sense. There are many people out there, uh, unfortunately, gaslight people, uh, unfortunately have other agendas. And uh, there are also people out there who are naive to it and just think it's okay. Uh, uh, uh. So, yeah, I think we need to basically talk about how to spot a psychopath and then we can talk about what's go, going further. Okay. Well, um, a lot of people reckon that maybe there is 4% uh, of the population who are psychopaths. And on that basis, um, you know, we, we, we must, by definition, know one or two of them. So, um, sorry, somebody's just delivering something. Okay. Um, Mothers tell me that they realised that their child was a psychopath because it was vicious on the nipples where the other breastfeeding children hadn't been. You know, there are those children you probably met one at school where they're, they're cruel to the cat or cruel to the dog or they, you know, yeah. they pick the wings off flies or whatever it is. So they do show their signs early on, but the psychopathic child learns very, very quickly that he can manipulate everyone around him because he doesn't care. And he soon learns that if he blames it on his sister, that she'll get the punishment, not him, because he's so believable. So they become quite good actors very often. Uh, and a lot of stars that we, you know, are, are actually psychopaths because they learned acting at a very young age, so mum wouldn't find out. And um, what can one do about it? Well, um, there have been twin studies done where it turned out that the one uh, having the problems, violence in particular, not, not necessarily psychopathy, but violence, could be uh, very often a zinc deficiency. And there's been experiments done in prisons in uh, America, for example, by Dr. Walsh, who tested every serial killer in America for their mineral levels and so on. And something like 70% were low on uh, zinc. And a sign of low zinc might be white spots on the fingernails. And then uh, quite a large percentage uh, had low blood sugar. So you, you've heard that phrase, hangry, where somebody gets hungry and they get yeah. really hungry, you've got to feed them right away. Well, some people get so hangry that if, they, if you don't feed them, uh, they might really physically damage you. And uh, so it turns out this combination of uh, zinc deficiency and uh, low blood sugar is responsible for a lot of violence. And Dr. Walsh was able to institute... Um, uh, experiments in prisons, giving them zinc and so on, and with a massive reduction in, in, in violence. So are psychopaths salvageable? Well, I, I really don't know. Um, the thing is that I've tried, actually, with several. And, <laughs> well, I have. Uh, uh, the thing is that um, they, generally speaking, enjoy being who they are because 
they don't understand us. You know, why, why aren't you manipulating and stealing and cheating when you can? You know, they don't understand what's wrong with us. They see themselves as superior. And so a lot of them don't want to change. And, um, you know, it, it can be similar with, with schizophrenics, that uh, they enjoy being schizophrenics and uh, they don't actually want to change. Um, wow. So you, you, you mentioned that, you know, I'm just identifying as children. That's surely the children side of things. Uh, if they're blaming their sister, like my kids did that, they'd always blame each other and get one in trouble. And I, isn't that just part and parcel of being a kid? We can all be psychopaths, right? We can all display the, the, the you know, every bad trait that, that we can display, obviously. But as we grow up, we choose not to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so... For instance, you've ended up finding a partner who isn't a psychopath. You've you've sniffed him out, and uh, you've gone and you've had your baby, and you've weaned your baby, and you're looking after it. The child's now going to go to school. He's going to pick up he she, and there is only two genders as uh, as I've been taught to believe yeah, in science. Just two. Just two. So. Your son or your daughter goes to school and they're going to be mixing around with other kids who are snotty. Got lots of, you know, just your normal colds, but your child's coming in from school. He's picking up loads of colds. Um, how do you keep the children safe from your regular bugs, which they're going to pick up in the classroom? And we do know that COVID isn't something that children are going to passing around in school. But, um, yeah, your general bugs, everyday bugs at school, going around, how do they boost their immune system and keep themselves healthy? Okay, without going into the discussion as to whether viruses really exist in the form that we think they do, yeah. um, when I discovered how never to get a cold or a flu ever again was when I started uh, taking vitamin D in winter. And you know, I used to get colds as, you know, from as, as young as I can remember, I'd always had colds in winter, always, always, always. Then, and I was all, I, you know, there were times when I was eating an incredibly good diet. That wasn't enough. It was actually the fact that I always got colds in winter, which is when there wasn't enough sun. And so if you make sure your child has vitamin D in, you know, the various forms that you can get it, then that's one third of the equation at least. The, another third is vitamin C. You know, vitamin C is what powers our immune system probably more than anything else. And we're all low on vitamin C because it's not in the, in the fresh vegetables properly. And beyond that, it's zinc. If you've got enough vitamin C, zinc and vitamin D, it's very hard to catch anything because basically your immune system is working like it would have done when our ancestors ate real food. Yeah, absolutely. So how much, what about looking at the, the, the doses? Because I know that people have vitamin D tests to check that they've, they're getting a, not a right amount of vitamin D in them, don't they? Or is it the vitamin oh. How much is the dosage? How much should a, a, we be giving a child of vitamin D roughly between, let's say, let's say the school age um, up until teens? So they've, they've gone to primary school and just about to leave us and in that era in the primary school you know the primary school yeah. years what kind of dosage well, of uh, these vitamins should they be taking okay well most people feel that it should be done by weight you know let's say somebody's uh, obese and they're twice the weight that they might otherwise have been arguably they might need twice as much 
as somebody who's normal weight and somebody who's small and thin might need less. Similarly with children, uh, you would look at their weight and calculate the dose that way. So myself, uh, I take in winter only, if there's no sun, uh, 10,000 IUs, which is 10,000 international units of vitamin D every day, if I remember. Okay, and that seems to work for me. Some people need less, some people need more. Um, and generally, it seems to be accepted now, particularly in America, where I think they've done a lot more studies, that um, 8,000 IUs is a good number, but nobody at the moment is making it in 8,000 IUs, as far as I know. So 10,000 IUs is closest, and you don't have to do it every single day. Um, with vitamin C, so, so, so let's say the child is a quarter of your weight, you can buy uh, vitamin D in 2,000 IU uh, sizes, okay. for instance, and then for very little money on the internet, you can send off for a test, you prick your finger, and you can tell whether you've got enough, too much, or just right, and, and, and adjust it. So vitamin D is pretty simple. Okay, then, so what are the name of these tests, do you know? Uh, or where would D. they find it? Yeah, they're just, you put vitamin D test kit online, they'll pop up. Thank you. Now, um, with vitamin C, if we were getting our vitamin C from natural foods, as our ancestors would have done, uh, we probably would have been taking in somewhere between um, 5 grams and maybe 10 grams a day, maybe something like that. And other, other uh, animals that are similar to us that are able to take the vitamin C, uh, well, they, they're able to actually generate their own vitamin C. Humans can't generate their own vitamin C, which is an unusual thing. But um, there are quite a number of people who've gone raw carnivore or gone completely carnivore. Uh, therefore, they're not in theory, they're not getting any vitamin C, but actually they are. And so it does seem very clear that there is vitamin C. There's either vitamin C in meat or meat products, or our body's able to synthesize them into vitamin C. But the mechanism, as far as I know, hasn't actually been discovered. But vitamin C uh, is an antioxidant. And you know, we, we rust, if you like. We oxidize just like a bar of steel might go rusty and oxidize. And vitamin C is an antioxidant, so it corrects what is essentially um, aging, I suppose. Wow. And so how much vitamin C to take? Well, half a teaspoonful of pure powder is about two grams. And if one were to take two grams twice a day, uh, that'd be a jolly good start. Uh, one, one could take more. And the body is self-regulating with both magnesium and vitamin C. So if you take too much, you end up in the bathroom with diarrhea. So you, you, you can quickly find out what what an overdose level is, but I know people who've needed 100 grams in a day because wow. they're really ill. But most people, once they get to, let's say, 10 grams, they're probably going to end up in the bathroom. But the, the more ill somebody is, the likelihood is the more vitamin C they might need. And there are people who've used it to recover from cancer. For example, in Australia, doctors have used it uh, at 200 grams intravenously in a 24-hour period. Wow. And I think it was Graham Downing as well who said um, somebody was extremely ill and uh, they, he saw them get better. With Well, you know, this is, isn't new information. You know, uh, 80 years ago they started looking at that, roughly, or 70 maybe, and they were reversing 
pretty much everything from TB to smallpox to everything you might think of as a viral disease, they were reversing, including polio, by the way, reversing with vitamin C. So is it a virus or is it a vitamin C deficiency? When the doctors were curing people with uh, hydrochloroquine or whatever it was called, can't remember, it was that and zinc. And so was it the zinc that was actually giving the benefit to the people with these symptoms of so-called COVID? Um, so, you know, I, I contend that one could probably go through a childhood without necessarily uh, getting colds and flus and so on. Okay, so Clive, so we've talked about um, the vitamins, vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc. What about the types of food? I mean, we, you know, we, we do think about children when we're weaning them uh, and what foods we're going to start doing. But when they're, you know, when they're in school, they're going to be going to the school dinners. If they're getting school dinners, some will be taking packed lunches. Uh, there is this obesity side, too much sugar. But what would you suggest is the best food for during your, your child's school life? Well, it's un unlikely to be the food they get at lunchtime at school. It's pretty unlikely that that's the best food. I suspect it's the cheapest. So if your child is going to school, it would certainly be a good idea uh, to do packed lunches. Um, the question is, do you want to poison your children or not? And obviously, one doesn't want to poison one's children. And therefore, really... <coughs> sorry. Therefore, really, any food that comes processed from a supermarket probably has poisonous ingredients on it. Just look at the label of whatever foods you eat commonly. See if there's any word that you don't understand. You know, butter, uh, you know, those sort of words we understand. But uh, chemical names, usually a dodgy when it says preservatives, flavorings. You know, the problem is that monosodium glutamate, you know, the stuff that addicts people to cheap Chinese restaurant food, it has a hundred names. It's called uh, vegetable protein. It's called yeast extract. It's called all sorts of things. Uh, obviously, not all yeast extract has MSG, but they're allowed legally to use all sorts of hidden names. You have to be pretty careful with processed foods these days. And one of the things is that the manufacturers are substituting ingredients all the time. And when I was young, uh, Marmite was so thick if you put on too much, you could never get it off. You, you know, the amount you'd use now on one slice of bread would have done maybe 10 slices of bread uh, 50 years ago. Mm. Now, um, they've totally changed Marmite. It's nothing like what it was. Kit Kats, again, they've changed everything about almost every processed food. So, you know, uh, when I was young, uh, we had Kit Kats at tea time. Uh, but I didn't notice anybody particularly you know, dying around the place or having a problem with wheat. Nobody had a problem with eating yeah. food at that point. So if you can choose natural foods, uh, you know, without chemicals, I mean, even going to a market and getting vegetables that, okay, they've probably been sprayed with various chemicals, those are probably a lot safer, particularly if they're in season than uh, most processed foods because at least in season, uh, there's a good chance that, you know, the plants are going to be in optimal condition. You know, it's only the weak ones that get predated on. So then there's the question of, is the food a variety that's any good? You know, imagine that 
uh, you were you're a farmer and you're looking for a powerful bull for your herd now you'd want one that was really potent you know it it would be be full of seeds to fertilize the eggs in the cows yeah. but most food well, well let's say there's a cow that, that had no seed you know right. most fruits and vegetables have no seed but they used to yeah you know not that long ago lemons oranges limes cucumbers had big seeds in everything had seeds in you know only until a few years ago cucumbers used to be curved they never used to be straight carrots used to be purple you know, potatoes used to be small and knobbly everything has changed broccoli would be unrecognizable uh, to somebody 100 years ago so we really are in trouble trying to make sure our children do have enough food that's good so if you wound the clock back 200 years well what would children be eating then well if they were near an estuary they'd be eating oysters which you know, oysters were the cheapest food around victorian times they were so plentiful uh, before the over over oyster fishing yeah. um, and oysters are supposed to be the world's greatest aphrodisiac because of all the zinc and selenium in there so they would have been eating whatever was around in winter probably uh, a lot of animal and uh, fish would have been eaten because you know for six months of the year farming doesn't really happen much so yeah. to get through a winter they would have fermented foods you know cheeses and they put hams up to dry and they would have made pickles and chutneys and jams and w whatever it was they knew how to make uh, to keep food over the winter and that would have had a high bacterial content you know, good bacteria we're talking about and they probably would have uh, have been going foraging for the wild mushrooms and the blackberries and the rose hips and you know, all the things that are in season right now where I live there are loads of wild garlic and wild chives coming up all, all, all over the shop um, so if you can find a way to get back to nature a bit in the way you feed your children try and interest them you know let's go mushroom hunting let's see which which ones you, know, you, you, need, you, you need an expert with you, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say, let's look for the poisonous ones, children. <laughs> let's let's, let's look for their pretty little ones under there. They've got a little cap on them. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Or those nice, pretty red and white ones. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, to have a guide. I found when somebody showed me an edible mushroom, I remembered it forever. It was just one of those things. It's impossible from a book. But when people have showed me, I remember somebody showing me the amethyst deceiver, which was this uh, bluey purple color, and it looked like it would kill you straight off, but they were delicious. I uh, remember as a child, my grandfather, I mean, originally from Poland, went through the war, prisoner of war camp, managed to get out anyway, blah, blah. But he, we always used to go mushroom picking. And, he, you, know, he, he, you know, he'd tell us we'd go and pick them up. Is this the right one, Granddad? You know, and, you know, those red and white ones, that's, you know, that's the fairies and the elves is home. And, you know, they touch them because they're poisonous. And she would always say, stay well away. Oh, fairies are over there. Uh, didn't tell us, but if you, you know, yeah, that's how you see fairies, but okay. So, um, mushrooms, what is it so good about mushrooms? Because I cannot stand them. Oh, dear. Well, what a shame. Uh, maybe you need to retry them cooked in a totally different way or something. Uh, because I didn't used to like them. I mean, most children don't actually like mushrooms. Well, my son uh, did. My son does. And he has done since a kid. But, oh, no. All right. How would you cook them then, Clive? Uh, well, uh, I just usually gently fry them in butter uh, in a pan. 
uh, uh, and I might, if I felt like it, add some uh, chili. I might add a bit of garlic, and that would be about it. You could, if you're in a French mood, at the end you could add add a bit of double cream uh, into it to make it creamy, mushroomy okay. creamy, which a lot of people like. And you know, it's it's um, they are amazingly healthy. I mean, medicinal mushrooms are fantastic. You know, dr- just a dried, yeah. dried reishi or lion's mane you know there are so many fantastic mushrooms and you can make teas with mushrooms you know chaga mushroom you can make make a sort of a tea which is okay um so other things that might interest children and you want to feed them some food give them some seeds of anything they like you know if they like uh, broccoli give them some broccoli seeds and you can sprout them and they you know you see them sprouting on the first day you know two days they're they're getting bigger, and you know, at the end of the week, they're, they're you know, uh, sprouts that you, you might find for a couple of quid in a health food store. And so, so you get rapid results from them. You get them growing sunflower seeds right now. Um, you've got, got any sunflowers just in the seeds in the cupboard that aren't, that aren't cooked? You know, while they won't be giant special ones like you might get from uh, the flower shop, they'll be free and they grow very easily. You know, if they happen to like herbs, or you, or you do. I mean, coriander grows really easily from seed. Uh, there, yeah. there, there, there's so much that is fun to grow, and uh, you you want to get the child interested in eating some good food. Well, get them to grow it. That's it. Absolutely genius. Actually, Kai, just have you have you should maybe do um, a cook like a like a like a little video blog in the kitchen of of, of you cooking and growing and what's easy you should like clive's kitchen well you haven't seen how tiny my kitchen is it's it's just one of the smallest kitchens you've ever seen but uh, because my my, i live in a little tiny cottage it's actually quite small so um but the birds sound amazing fabulous birds okay so they're going to grow their own foods yeah so but but there are all the advantages of sprouting stuff because if you come home, let's say you like like lentils or you like chickpeas or something, you bring them home, uh, soak them and sprout them. A quarter of a kilo now is a whole kilo because you've actually grown it at home. You know, seeds and things grow in the dark. They don't need sunshine. They don't need a garden. You can grow quite a lot indoors and save a lot of money doing it. It's fantastic. And you could get, I mean... Just run through if people do want to do uh, some sprouting, and they've never done it. Uh, done it. I mean, they don't teach these things in schools anymore. I mean, really, that's the first thing. I mean, it should be handed down from the parents. But when they're at school and they're doing their nature and everything else, they're not being taught how to. They don't, they don't even know being taught what trees and what flowers are. So it, you know, they don't, people don't know. So how how do people do sprouting, Clive? Well, luckily, it's so ridiculously easy. Uh, it's a doddle. What, you can use almost any containers to do it. I, I generally uh, use um, kilner jars um, because I quite like them, glass. Uh, but you could use a jug. You could use a large glass. You could use pretty much any material. I, I like glass as the basic material. And you get some seeds. And uh, you can buy online seeds for sprouting. So you go into the garden centre, 25 seeds cost you £2 or something. But if you buy seeds just for sprouting, then you need them by the thousands. So you can buy thousands for a couple of quid. And so you don't need many because they uh, expand so rapidly in size. So let's say you put in 
sixteenth of an inch, you know, a centimeter, a tiny amount of uh, seeds at the bottom of the jar, and then fill the jar up with water and let them sit there for half a day. If you forget and that's the end of the day, it's probably still all right. So you just get a, a sieve and strain them out again. Uh, now, so all the water's gone out of the jar, you put the wet seeds back in the jar and leave them for another half day. If you Cover forget. them up? Should they cover them up? No, don't have to cover them up. Okay. They can be in the light, they can be in the dark, the seeds don't care, right? The seeds are this incredible store of energy that the plant parent has given that seed, and that seed has everything it needs. It doesn't need light at the beginning, it doesn't need uh, anything else except water. So you water it and it sprouts, and you just keep rinsing it once or twice a day, just rinse them. And the thing about a jar shape uh, is, is that it's, it's, if, it, if it was an open bowl, then the water would evaporate too quickly. But a jar shape keeps keeps the dampness in, which is all the all the seed needs just to be damp. Okay. And by the end of the week, it's like an inch long or something like that. And so it's quite rewarding. And I mean, I find I don't particularly like sprouts that much, really. I do a nice hot summer day, a sprout salad where you could sprout, you know, um, you could sprout chives, you could sprout garlic chives, you could. Uh, sprout broccoli seeds, alfalfa seeds, celery seeds are rather nice. All sorts of herb seeds give give flavour, but you'd probably only want a tiny pinch of each one. But you could make a salad of 20 things uh, in seed form that are sprouted all in one jar without a garden. And um, uh, you know, pretty much anything you think think of, uh, if you like if you like the taste of the, the vegetable, you'll probably like the taste of the sprouted seed. Um, the only the only one thing that you cannot must not uh, eat raw, never eat raw kidney beans. They must never be eaten raw. Never, you can die. Oh, really? Yep. Yep. What is it? Toxic? Obviously toxic. Clearly. <laughs> well, you, you see, the thing is about seeds and um, well, some seeds anyway. You know, the, the 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 plant has two strategies. One is to make the thing like the strawberry so delicious that all types of animals and birds want to eat it and spread the seeds far and wide. Then on the other hand, you've got the let's make the seed outside of seed so toxic that no animal or insect will want to eat it. And this is certainly true of the kidney bean as an ultimate example of uh, a, a bean that has such a good self-defense that uh, it'll kill anybody who tries to eat it. And um, so, yeah, so uh, there is this caveat about um, all, all sorts of foods, I mean, including tomatoes. You know, for some people, the seeds and the skin of tomatoes give them really bad time stomach-wise. You know, the flesh of the tomato is fine. It's the seeds and the uh, skin, because those are the two protective poisoned items, if you like. Some people seem to be fine with it. It's the same with potato skins. Some people don't get on with potato skins. Some people don't get on with uh, aubergines. And you know there, there are a few uh, in, uh, plants that, that are in the nightshade family, which that is. Some people just can't get on gives them arthritis for some people. You know. Oh really? I fine. mean, we just we touched on the nuts thing because obviously I've got a chronic, chronic nut allergy, and it's just it's literally every nut. I can't even put the um, like a, a hazelnut shampoo on. I come, it, it flares up. So, um, and I do know people with 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 other. Um, 
with other conditions. So that's but, good to know about kidney beans. Very good to know. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I'd do if I had an allergy would be to try and ramp, ramp up my vitamin C levels. I would, um, you know, find the, the dose that you can comfortably take and then just take that dose several times a day. See how many times you can take that dose. And it may be higher than you think. And you may find if it, if it is quite a high dose, you need a vitamin C. It may not be permanently, but it may be that at that high dose, the nuts don't bother you so much. It's um, I'm too petrified. I've nearly died twice. Right, well, so that's I don't want to have to go through. I don't want to have to. I, I, I well, uh, you don't have to test it, but you could still try bumping up your vitamin C levels. Yeah, I could do. I mean, I take quite a lot anyway, thanks to you. But in general, uh, I might even try and bump it up anyway. Well, okay. You, you could test how high you can go with it. I want to just talk a little bit of things. I mean, we touched on all the nasty things and the chemicals that are going into food. Um, I'd like just to talk a little bit about the old aspartame. I know we touched on it again. We did touch on that last week. Uh, but you're now getting all of these, uh, like the Red Bull drinks, these energy drinks. I mean, then you're seeing the Red Bull in the shop and it's like £1.50 for a can. But then you've got like Pound Saver, Buy three energy drinks for a pound. What the hell is going into these energy drinks other than caffeine and sugar? Well, and how come one company is making it a bloody fortune and the other company is making it for cheapest chips? Well, uh, when one company sponsors Formula One car racing, which is <laughs> you know incredibly expensive, you know clearly you know, to get that sort of publicity. Uh, the drinks got got to cost a lot. I mean, would you give a, a three year old loads of coffee and loads of donuts, loads of sugar all day? Well, probably, hopefully, you wouldn't. So it doesn't matter whether it's a three year old or a baby or an eighteen year old or your kid. Um, it, it's not doing them any good, basically. I mean, caffeine has some advantages. You know, a few benefits of caffeine, but it's trying to find alternatives that the kids are willing to tolerate i mean if i if i'm out and i don't want to drink alcohol for instance i find i can pretty much get away with sparkling water because I, I i unlike ordinary water which i could just neck with sparkling water i tend to sip it and i i can use that as my you know whereas i otherwise might might have gone for the booze i can use that and it's fine yeah, it will will your child accept some alternative yes it might cost more or something. I mean, I'm talking really more about, I mean, I'm hoping most parents wouldn't give that to those children. So, but when they come into secondary school and they're going off to the shops after school, they are, you know, cigarettes are regulated. Uh, even cigarette papers, you can't buy cigarette papers, I don't believe, until they're over 18. But these teenagers can go into the shop and buy energy drinks. Well, I'm not for regulating anything, actually. No, I know. No, fair enough, fair enough. But really... Yeah, I know. With cigarettes and everything, they, they they have those regulations. But what I'm saying is there isn't regulations on energy drinks. And surely the energy drinks are just as dangerous as cigarettes. Um, that's, that's my point. Yeah, I've, I've, I've never really looked into it. But there's clearly evidence that you mentioned aspartame. The artificial sweeteners tend to be very dangerous. Uh, a lot of these artificial materials are brain damaging you know they are actually making your child stupid sugar it basically is brain damage 
you know, when, when consumed. Um, there are so many things that sugar does depleting important nutrients which are about intelligence. Um, I think we've spoken on a previous program about the importance of iodine for uh, intelligence. And 95%, I would say, of all English people are low on iodine, including the kids. And so it's what, what, what is one going to do about that? Maybe the way is to say to your child, you know, let's say 100 is the most intelligent child in your class and naught is the, 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 yeah. the least intelligent. Where would you like to be on the chart? Where would you feel comfortable? Where do you think you are now? You're pro and you could you flatter them. You're probably ninety percent or, or whatever. Um, so you know. So where would you put yourself now? And where where do you think, if you could be cleverer, where you'd feel comfortable being? You know, a lot of people don't want to be at the top necessarily. Yeah. Um, try try and show the child that actually they might benefit from being more intelligent, mm -hmm. and if they can see that. You could ask them the question, well, uh, what's your brain made of? And you can tell them if they don't know, it's mainly water and fat, cholesterol. So every time you're dehydrated, is your brain working as well as it could do? Probably not. If you're eating an artificial fat like fish and chips from the chip shop rather than uh, a natural, preferably animal-based fat, yeah, remember in the old days when they fried chips, they still do it up north, they fried them in lard. You know, animal fats, not, not in an artificial, uh, artificially extracted vegetable oil. There's a real problem with sunflower oil and vegetable oils and soya oils, and the worst is rapeseed oil. When is I was it young, really? I didn't know that. When I was young, nobody in their right mind would eat rapeseed oil because it was, at that point, viewed as an oil for machinery. Wow. You, you've got to remember the con that's gone on on food. People tell me all the time, well, I'm eating this hemp protein or I'm eating pea protein or whatever it was, thinking that they're doing good. They say, well, I'm drinking soya milk. They oh. don't realise that not long ago the, the products I've just discussed were thrown away because once you'd taken your hemp seed and you'd squeezed out all the expensive oil, they used to throw away the garbage that was left over, relative garbage, then they realised they could sell it to uh, switched-on hippies as uh, hemp protein. But you want whole hemp. You don't want you don't want the oil extracted version. You know, as I say, that was just considered rubbish before. It feeds the pigs, obviously. Yeah, Clive, that has been a fantastic show. It really, really has. Um, maybe I think we should do. What should we do next week? What 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 would be your ideal subject to do? Clive, what are you? What are you? What's what's inspiring you at the moment? What are you looking at? Okay, um, I am currently reading uh, Doctor Chi's uh, fingernail and tongue analysis book. Okay, it's interesting pictures, and it's quite interesting. I mean, you know, I think most people are probably aware how much you can tell from fingernails, the different pulses in the bodies on the body, what, you know, what the face looks like, uh, you know, the lines on it and the teeth and uh, so on. It's, um, it's very interesting. I mean, you know, anybody could look it up, um, uh, fingernail or uh, uh, tongue analysis and look at the pictures and then look at yourself in the mirror, look at, look at your, your family, see if you can spot things. It can be quite interesting. Okay, let's do that then. All right, very good. Yeah.
Fantastic. That's it for today. Um, I'm going to be back on tomorrow, two shows. We have Mr. Truthbomb and Roy Davis looking at the current goings on in Washington. And for everybody who follows Q, we've got loads of different analysis. And I'm actually going to bring my views and analysis into the show. Usually I leave it to everybody else. But this week I'm bringing my analysis into it as well. And I will also be doing a show on homeopathic medicine, which Clive, I'm sure you'll be interested in. The lovely Marie McLaughlin. Uh, she's a homeopath. She's a fantastic woman. And she's going to be doing a show with me tomorrow on homeopathy. So that should be fun. Say goodnight, Clive. Cheerio. All the best. And you can catch Clive at clivedecarl.com where you can also sign up for this. Secret Health Club, which I think we will do a show on also very soon. If you like what we're doing and you would like to support the show, we would be very much appreciated of it. Uh, LouCollins.uk and go to the Support Us and uh, we will be restarting advertising again soon on the site. We've had loads of problems and with that, that's why we haven't been able to get the shop up. But I think that's all almost fixed. And uh, hopefully, in a week or so's time, we will be launching officially the shop. So that's it. Thanks, guys. You take care. Lou Collins, radio show on Telegram. Bye. Oh,